to be. Love and we, Pokemon is on her. Okay, honey. Is he blue? Okay. So, so okay, so he might have been born in a cave, a stable, you know. We also we talk about the, uh, the shepherds in the field that came to worship him, right? And the wise men that came from the east later on to give him gifts, right? Those are all scripture verses talk about his coming. But you know what I think is the most powerful scripture verse that talks about his coming? We did it in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. And it says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's why he came, right? So at Christmas time, we need to remember that, why he came, right? And you know who are sinners? Huh? We're all sinners, right? Yeah. Um, so even me. I'm even, even me a sinner. Look at all the Pokemon. All right. There's Vettorion, Espeon, Boyfion, Oh, Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan. And Umbreon. Thank you, buddy. All right. So let's pray. All right. Let's pray about uh, the meaning, the coming of Jesus for Christmas and what that means to us. Okay. okay we're going to pray now, buddy. Father God, we thank you that uh, we can be, uh, we can celebrate this time of year, that the world celebrates Christmas, and uh, we just pray, Lord, that, that we don't lose the meaning. Uh, we always talk about the reason for the season, and, and we know that you are, and we pray, Lord, we don't, meet, we don't miss that this Christmas. So we, we love the decorations. We love the giving of gifts, the receiving of gifts. We love the gathers, family, and friends, but Lord, may we always be reminded of why you came to save sinners like us. And we thank you, and we praise you for that. And I just pray for these little ones, Lord, that their hearts would always be drawn to you, that they would know your saving grace. I pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Today on the second part of verse 29. I was teaching the boys... This week we're discussing uh, Christmas around the world, and our focus was on Japan. And there aren't many Christians in Japan. Most of the traditions that they have are, like many of ours, commercialized. But they have a tradition of Christmas dinner that they celebrate. Does anybody know what they do? For, not you, babe. Anybody else? No? It's uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it is. In the 70s, Kentucky Fried Chicken did a big ad campaign at Christmas time. Um, now they associate Christmas dinner with Kentucky Fried Chicken, which, it, comparatively speaking, it's not a bad one. It's not a bad one to take on. But one aspect of their celebration that I loved is that the only gift exchange is the parents giving the children gifts. And when those children get a gift, they get one gift. And they value that gift. 
and they highly appreciate that one gift, and there's something simplistic in that that removes a, a vast amount of the consumerism and the commercialization, but it reminded me of the one gift that we have, and this gift is the whole reason that we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the image of the invisible God in whose image we were created becoming like one of us. Augustine put it this way, man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, the bread might be hungry, the fountain be thirsty, the light sleep, the way be tired from the journey. He became one of us, but why? And you covered it with the kid, the kids. Jesus came to save sinners. But to save them unto what? We leave it there. But he doesn't leave it there in the, in the Bible. What purpose? I believe we get a big part of that answer here in the end of Romans chapter 8. We get an answer that is much more than forgiveness, as great and as wonderful as that is. An answer much more than a, a ticket to heaven, as wonderful and great as heaven will be. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We covered last week that this foreknowledge was a covenant choosing by God and whom he was going to pour his love out upon. But he didn't just choose us to choose us. He chose us to be a part of his family, to be his people. He chose us, those created in his image, to be re-imaged into the image of his son, who is the preeminence of this family. So let me read Romans 8, starting with verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Saw last week that there is a lot to predestination. And I want to get into that thoroughly next week with you. But this week, I want us to just see the context of what Paul is saying the purpose of predestination is. What God ordained before the foundation of the world is that his chosen people, those whom he foreknew, whom he poured out his covenant love upon, would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is what he predestined us for. The world isn't this world that we live in now 
isn't a reaction of God as if he created it perfect and we messed it up and now he's got to come up with plan B and figure out how he's going to rescue us. It wasn't some sort of chaotic war council type meeting among the Trinity to see how they're going to fix this, that we screwed this up. He wasn't caught off guard by our sin or our rejection of him or our inability to bridge the sin gap. Paul says, in speaking of the gospel, we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Before the earth was formed, God decreed this plan. I read to you similar verse from Ephesians, and I will read it again next week. But Paul says in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. For what reason? That we should be holy and blameless before him. We should be Christ-like. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Paul's whole point in this section, this whole Romans 8 section that we've been in for a little bit, is that we can have hope. We look forward to our glorification, our bodily resurrection, our realized adoption as children of God because it was always a part of God's plan for it to be that way. From before the beginning of the earth, the beginning of time, it was God's plan for us to be resurrected, conformed to the image of his son. It wasn't a mistake. This isn't a backup plan or plan B. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave will raise his people because God has predestined it to be so. Why? Like I said, the problem for us is that we usually just leave it there, the salvation. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be redeemed by Christ. As we contemplate, as we prepare him room in our hearts, it's Christmas time. It wasn't just for his being born of a baby that he came to earth, right? But for his death and resurrection, for our sins. But even that, there's more to it. It's just the beginning. Our salvation is just the beginning. Those whom God chose, he predestined to be part of his family. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers, among many, Jesus is the firstborn. And that firstborn, that meaning has a couple of facets to it. First, it means that he is first to be bodily resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by... A man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So he is the first to be resurrected from the dead. It also means that Christ is the firstborn in preeminence in this family of God. We will be like him in glorification in this resurrected body, perfected body, but we will not be like him in place of honor. He is the only one worthy of worship and worthy of praise. Colossians 1, 15 to 18 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the firstborn. He is the first to do it. And he is the first, the one in the place of honor, the only one deserving of our worship, the only one deserving of our praise, the reason that we are here. Jesus is preeminent. But Paul says God predestined us to be like him, to be one of many brothers, to be part of this family. There's an ancient English proverb You've said it probably many times. Blood is thicker than water, right? Family bond should be tighter than anything that there is. But the rabbinical proverb says this. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Meaning this family is what should be thicker than anything else on earth that would bind us together. Jesus unites us together as part of God's family in no ways that any family bond on earth can do. It will last for all eternity in him. What he has started now here in this church, take a look at these faces because you're going to see them forever. You may think that's a good thing now, bad thing. So we dedicate, we're dedicated to each other in the name of Christ, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We forge bonds with each other, go through trials with each other. We pray for each other. We point each other to Christ. We are a family. This bond that precedes all others. And we do things, right? We meet together. We take time out of our day to meet together, to pray together. We do things like meet at someone's house on a Saturday and and get them moved. So wonderful to see so many of you out there doing that, right? We do the things that a family does for one another. We are born of God, worshiping the firstborn, predestined to be conformed to his image. So those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, as we saw, I believe there's a big eschatological aspect, and this means that our bodies, these broken down, breaking down bodies of ours, will be perfected. No more hurting, no more pain. Yeah, praise the Lord. And we see that in Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. Paul says to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And from, <clears throat> excuse me, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorified body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So here he comes when he returns. If we've already passed, he's going to raise our glorified body. If not, we will meet him. Glorified, perfected bodies. That is part, that is one way in which we will be like him. But this process has already started here in this life. He's already initiated the victory has already been won, and he's initiated this. We live in the already, not yet. So I believe this conforming to Christ is right now as well. In this life, all things work together for our good to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual aspect. When we are saved, we are declared righteous. But as we live, every single thing we go through serves to make us righteous, holy, godly, Christ-like, to conform us to his image, to make us like that. That's a, if you know yourself like I know myself, that's a pretty big deal. It's a lot of work he's got to do. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He will do it. He will make you holy. When we suffer, we turn to him. We press into him. And it serves to make us more like him, to grow us in holiness. Do you desire holiness? Do you want to be like Jesus in this way? Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our suffering, our hurts, our trials, our tribulations, they serve to make us more like Jesus, and, and we have covered this. But our sins, when we repent, when we turn to him, that Holy Spirit shows us our sinfulness convicts us of our sins, brings us to repentance, a turning, a changing of the mind, a changing of the heart, a recognition with God that, yes, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm saying is sinful, and a changing of that way. When the Holy Spirit does that 
in us, when we rejoice in our salvation, it grows us in Christ's likeness. It grows us in holiness. We may sit there and think that if we go and we do no wrong, that this is what our definition of being holiness, but it is a growing in Christ-likeness. It is a purging out of the sinfulness and the ungodliness. When we are blessed, we see that all good gifts, all good things come from our Father in heaven and that we don't deserve them. It grows us in our affections. Our godliness, it grows us in this way. And I'll read again. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And this is what Paul is saying that good is. It's for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, this is the good that all things work together for, to be conformed to the image of his son. All things work together to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Everything out there. Everything there is. So how does this work? Practically. What does this look like? How are we seeing this work in our lives? And I believe that the Bible teaches that we are conformed to his image. Not merely by going through the trials. Not merely by being blessed not merely by coming to repentance, but by seeing Jesus Christ's glory in the midst of these things, by going through them with him. Recall Romans 8, or flip back just a page to verse 16 and 17. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we're going through these things with God. We are seeing God in the midst of the trials. We are seeing God in the midst of the blessings. We are seeing God in the midst of the repentance. We are seeing God in all of life. And not just seeing him. This is how Paul says we are changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being conformed to the image of Christ when we behold his glory. We see it. That's what changes us. The glory of the Lord is the beauty of his character on display. When we see the love of God on display, when we see the mercy of God on display, when we see the faithfulness of God on display, when we see God's provision and his protection when we see those things on display, we behold. First, we, we see it. We recognize it. That's God. And this isn't this is the government or this isn't my parents or this isn't whoever providing. This isn't the doctor bringing the healing. That's God. 
God did this. I see it. Okay, that's the seeing. But more than that, we behold it, right? It does something to us. It moves in us. It goes into our hearts. We treasure it. And we recognize it as his. And we value it as wonderful. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've had these moments in your life. Sometimes it happens during the message, and it's completely not me, but something of the word of God is proclaimed, and you're like, that's right. That's good, and I love that. And it moves in us. That is seeing the glory of God on display and beholding it. So so we treasure it, we recognize it, we value it as wonderful. So when I'm sick and hurt, I receive healing or comfort. It's that, that peace that surpasses understanding. That's knowing that's God. Do I truly see the glory of God on display as the giver of that healing or the giver of that comfort? Maybe I'm not being healed, but I've been brought comfort in the midst of this sickness or this hurting. When I'm brought to repentance, am I just sorry for what I did and feel bad for doing a bad thing? Where have I seen God's beauty and been brought low for sinning against him and seeing the beauty of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the empty tomb and been brought to a, a place of worship? Have I seen his glory on display in it? Same with blessings. Do I see them as truly coming from him? Do I really see? Do I behold and treasure that Jesus is the reason for the season? Or is it just some saying that I say? Do I really see this is why we're celebrating? This is why I'm hanging the lights. This is why I'm happy to give a gift or we're eating this meal. It's the Lord. It's the Lord doing these things. And I see it. And I love it. And thank you, God. When I do, when I do, when these things happen in life, when you see those glimpses of God and you behold it and you treasure it because of God's spirit working in you, I'm beholding his glory in life, in all aspects of life. And not just these examples that I've been given. This verse says that I'm beholding his glory. And when I do that, that's what changes me from one degree of glory to the next. That's what changes me in this sinful human image to be a more Christ-like image. Paul says that God chose to pour out his covenant love on you and predestined you so that you would see this, so that you would see his glory on display. To see his glory on display now and to be changed by it, to live by it, to live for it. So as you go about your life, as you prepare him room in your heart this Christmas season, prepare to see his glory. Pray to God that you would see his glory. You wouldn't just know facts about Christmas and just sing songs about Christmas or do nice things at Christmas time, or even have a festive heart, or a heart of love this Christmas. Great, great stuff. But you would see his glory on display, and behold it. 
and be moved and be transformed by it. We sing about Jesus and we sing to Jesus, but we want to do so prayerfully, asking God to show us his glory and what we're singing, the very words that are coming out of our mouths. As we learn of his teaching from the word, we value his life that was lived for us. We want to see the beauty of his character in it. We want to see him, not just recognize and get the facts of these things, but get that awe, get that wow, get that you are amazing, God. I pray that you don't lose your awe for God. Life does that to us. Sin, the trials of life, the weeds, the worries of life, that does that. Maybe hearing these things over and over can have the tendency to do that. We need to pray that we do not lose that awe for God, that we keep seeing his glory. We keep seeing him as beautiful because that is what's going to change you. It's not going to be your commitment to stop doing A, B, and C sin. It's not going to be your commitment to start being a better person and helping all the old ladies cross the street. It's going to be seeing his glory on display is what is going to do it. As we praise his death, as we praise his resurrection and his promise of return, we want to seek to not just know it, but to see it as glorious and wonderful and amazing and be in awe. Because when those moments happen, when we see his glory on display, that's when this verse is happening. All things serve this purpose. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things, all the times that we see his glory on display, it works together to transform us into the image of Christ. But All things in life are his glory on display. We just don't see them. We're not recognizing them. We're not seeking to see them. We're not beholding them. All things do serve this purpose in life. His glory is everywhere. It is all around you. Do you have eyes to see it? A heart to behold it and love it. Let's pray that we do. Lord, your glory is indescribable, even with our human words. And that's wonderful to know. That that it's beyond what we can comprehend and what we can even say. So we pray that you have told us, what you have shown us in your word, that you would open our eyes to see your glory. Give us hearts that want to be Christ-like, that want to grow in holiness, that want to be transformed into this sinful image, into the image of Jesus Christ, that want to be like him. Give us hearts that seek to see his glory on display in all of life, to be never to be losing our awe and our wonder for you, but to behold it, to treasure it, to love it, to be changed and transformed for your glory by your name. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen.